It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. Thank you so much for joining us on this Tuesday morning. Lots and lots going on. Of course, first phase of USMCA looks like it is going to pass the House, so that's certainly good news, and that kind of leads everything off for us as we turn it over to Susan Littlefield this morning. Good morning. Well, good morning. They just broke. I'm at the Nebraska Farm Bureau's annual convention. They just broke from their morning session for the delegates, and I tell you, it's all the buzz as the USMCA. We could see a vote on the House side as early as next week. The Senate says they're ready to go, so as soon as the House passes it, the Senate will tackle it as well. So definitely some exciting news. We'll have more on that coming up over the midday news uh, with Shaley. But to kick it all off, we're going to hear at 1219 about farm succession planning. And interesting that now is the time. Even if you are in your 20s to early 30s, you need to be sitting down and having that conversation with your parents, your grandparents, whoever it is. We'll dive more into that. Then a two-part series, both at 1245 and 117, Shaley Peters talks with Jeff Stoley with the Nebraska Cattlemen. Interesting conversation that she had last week in regards to marketings, the fire in Holcomb, Kansas, and how it just kind of all came together. I don't want to call it a perfect storm, but she'll give you more details over the midday. Okay, lots and lots going on today. Wozniak coming out too, so my goodness, busy, busy. I know. It's just a buzz. Yep, it absolutely is. Thank you so much, Thank, Susan. I no problem. It. Thank you. We turn it over to Jason Jorgensen now. What's going on in sports? Uh, there's some college basketball tonight folks will be interested in. Louisville, they're number one in the polls. They're back in action tonight against Texas Tech in the Jimmy V Classic. Mm. Second-ranked KU plays Milwaukee and fourth-ranked Maryland. They are at Penn State, so those are the top matchups in college basketball action. Also, as the NCAA tournament continues on, four Huskers have been named to the all-region team. No surprise there as John Cook's bunch had another fabulous season so we'll touch on uh, all of that coming up at sports also we'll talk about the new tennis complex which is coming to Kearney. the regents made that uh, official last week but the press release on that came out today so 7.5 million dollar facility that will be uh, shared between unk and the city of Kearney. okay very good well i tell you I uh, I didn't watch much of it but i tried to watch a little bit of uh, monday night football last night with I the giants too. and oh. you know they they should have an exemption this year no team from the NFC East should be allowed even oh. near the playoffs. Wow. They are just but the brutal. Eagles and Cowboys tied at six and seven. Yikes. So long, Eli Manning. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Not a great way to go out of Monday Night Football for Eli. Thank you so much, Jason. I appreciate it. Let's turn it over to Bob Rogan. How are stocks doing today with all the news? Stocks are slipping on Wall Street in early trading as investors. Considered reports that the U.S. will delay a new round of costly tariffs on Chinese goods as the nations continue to try to reach a trade deal on that front. Meanwhile, of course, as uh, many people have heard, um, there's been an agreement on a modified North American trade pact, which is uh, basically the updated NAFTA agreement. And uh, still there's some paperwork to be done before it's uh, finalized, but at least uh, at this point it looks like it's heading toward uh, being ratified. Also, consumer and business confidence held steady in Nebraska during November, according to the latest monthly surveys from the Bureau of Business Research. Those are the stories topping the business world. All right, that's all coming up on Midday. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network, joined with Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics. 
Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And there's Paul Perkins in there here in studio as we uh, take a look at some snow that's just kind of been hanging on over uh, just uh, south of the Nebraska line, northern Kansas, St. Francis, Atwood area. Yes, uh, northwest, north central Kansas, a fair amount of light snow hasn't amounted to a whole lot, about an inch of snow being reported towards the Atwood, Kansas area. If you look at some webcams there, it does verify from about Atwood on over to about Stockton, Kansas, especially on those uh, bridges in that area. But that's still slowly moving up towards east and southeast. And earlier this morning when I was on the air from 6 to 10, it was light snow in northeast Colorado to the southwest corner of Nebraska. So, yeah, it definitely has not moved a whole lot. The main brunt of that light snow right now from St. Francis to Atwood to south of Phillipsburg, Kansas. Maybe a few flurries getting squeezed from the clouds towards Cambridge and Alma. Otherwise, that cloud cover over the southwestern areas and also towards northeastern areas of Nebraska remaining on the chilly side currently. It's kind of looking as we look down the fu- down towards the future a little bit that this weekend's not going to be a real nice weekend. No, we're, our run of nice weekends yeah. is going to come to an end this weekend <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> as opposed to what we've been experiencing across the area. Right now, we do have temperatures primarily in the upper teens to the low 20s and much of central and eastern areas of Nebraska. Otherwise, some upper 20s to low 30s, northern Kansas, on into southwest Nebraska, northeast Colorado, and the Nebraska Panhandle. As nice as 33 right now at Ogallala and 37 on the temperature in the Holyoke, Colorado area. But those temperatures in the mid to upper 20s where we're seeing that snow from St. Francis to south of Phillipsburg as it drifts off towards the southeast. Today, mainly a sun and clouds mix across the area. That chance for some flurries and some light snow as the weak front lifts to the northeast. Temperatures today milder behind that front in western locations like we're seeing towards the Nebraska Panhandle, far southwest Nebraska and northeast Colorado. But then temperatures as much as 10 to 15 degrees colder than normal ahead of that front in central and eastern areas. And when you t- team up with that temperature with the wind right now, luckily the wind chill's not too bad, but we're still seeing some wind chills on into mainly the teens in central and eastern areas of Nebraska. For tomorrow through Friday, we are expected to be dry with the warming trend, a lot more sunshine on the way. A weak front will drop south for tomorrow night into Thursday with an increase in cloud cover. Light rain or snow changing to all light snow is a possibility for Friday night into uh, into early Saturday with the weak disturbance. It's not a definite possibility. Saturday night through Monday, though, looks to be a little bit more active. That best chance for snow appears to be Sunday and Monday. Currently, it doesn't look like a big chance for snow and a big snowstorm, but that better chance for accumulating snow looks to be over southern Nebraska into Kansas. This far out, that track and strength could change, so do keep up to date. In the long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures are likely to start seasonal to slightly warmer than normal the early half of next week. Above normal temperatures look to be very likely late next week through December 23rd. The outlook starts with above normal precipitation the early half of next week for Nebraska and Kansas. It will turn slightly drier with near normal to below normal precipitation late next week through the 23rd. Key weather factors driving markets include a drier period for the northern plains, unsettled weather in the Midwest, and some mixed conditions for South American crops and settled weather in the Midwest this week, especially in the southeast to east central, will disrupt the remaining harvest. Colder temperatures for the east and south Midwest not expected to be cold enough to harm the soft red winter wheat. For the northern plains, limited harvest is expected, but no significant precipitation in the forecast for the next seven days. Normally, the corn crop is 92% harvested nationally. That progress was most recently slower 
in 2009. That's when corn harvest was 89% complete at this time. Substantial corn acreage remains in the snow-covered northern Corn Belt. And get this, Scott, corn harvest is just 36% complete in North Dakota oh and 66% complete in Michigan and Wisconsin. In the southern plains, dryness is an increasing concern through southwest and central wheat areas. Right now, just a slight chance for some light precipitation on Sunday. Brazil's weather favors developing soybeans throughout the major growing areas. Persistent rain in central Brazil may increase soybean rust. For the minor crop areas of northeast Brazil, above normal temperatures and limited rain continue fact to the soybean planting and development. In Argentina, the hot weather yesterday and today, increasing the stress to early planted crops and reducing the soil moisture in some already too dry areas. The heat should break on Thursday, but no significant rain is expected. A better chance of rain will mostly miss the driest areas of La Pampa and Buenos Aires. 36%. Yeah, can you imagine yeah. seeing two-thirds of the corn still in the field at this time of year? Wow. And, of course, the snow on the ground, it's just going to probably have to wait or, you know, what will be left later on. Oh, man, that's sad. That's really sad. All right, very good. Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? KRBN.com. When's a good time to make the decision about farm succession? Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It's one of those topics that you know you have to have. It's kind of like the the elephant in the room, shall we say. So we're going to get more details from Nate Moore. He's a Farm Bureau Financial Services and talking about changing hands, farm succession seminar that would take place during this year's Farm Bureau annual meeting here in Kearney. Let's talk about that elephant in that room because it's a hard decision to decide, okay, I need to step back. Yeah, absolutely. So as part of my role, Susan, what we like to do is we like to come out and provide education in estate planning or what we like to refer to as transition planning. Basically, it's coming up with a strategy that's geared towards your family to make sure that the farm is going to pass from your generation to the next seamlessly. And it's a it's a big decision to make and there's a lot of different ways to make it and so there's not a cookie cutter plan that's right for uh, right for everyone. When we uh, take a, a dive into it and look at it from there, what we want to do is understand each family's dynamic, who they're going to leave the farm to, and how the best way there, there is to do that. So what is our time frame? How soon should somebody be thinking about this succession? That actual question came up exactly this morning, and the sooner the better. Uh, the reason for that is, is there are some strategies out there um, that are age-based. And so basically we always want to try and uh, sometimes put things off, and putting things off is not always the right way to do it. Also, the way that it used to be is that estate planning really was geared towards mom and dad would sit down with the attorney, they would drop a plan and they would make things uh, just sort of right or as they saw fair, equitable to the, to the kids. However, in today's world, what we're seeing is that that next generation is really starting to step up and not really force mom and dad, but they're, but they're trying to learn a little bit more about the estate transition and how it's going to work. And then they can take an active role now in helping mom and dad prepare for that transition in the future. How does that change the transition process? Yeah, what it really does is it just brings, instead of uh, mom and dad and, and the kids not knowing what's going to go on in the future, it, it really brings everybody into the know. We put really everybody at the kitchen table and say, hey, you know, how do you guys want to do this? Do you see yourself being in the farming community moving forward? Um, and what's the best way for that to happen? What are some of the biggest concerns they have when it comes to getting this process started? Yeah, a lot of times people always worry about, of course, uh, there's, there's 
taxes, costs, you know, what are the demands? And the thing that I could say that usually starts to alleviate that is, is we start to just collect some information. And, and so it really starts at the Farm Bureau agent level. We come and meet with the agent with our client members and we sit down and say, hey, let's collect some information. Let's see what, what it's gonna uh, you know, take to put a, a true plan together. So it takes a little bit of homework on our, uh, on our clients' parts to do so, um, but over the course of, of, uh, of a few months, we can usually put together a plan for them. Is there that fear of hurting feelings? <laughs> uh, uh, typ typically not. You know, what we have now in today's world is that the generations that are going to be taking over the farm, we have off-farm heirs, and then we have those who are going to stay on the farm. And I think that the, the, those now know, hey, yeah, we all have a vested interest in this farm and mom and dad's farm, but they understand the dynamics and the struggles that the farmers have of continuing to run the family farm. Um, and so there's a lot of ways that we can put some plans into place which take care of those who are no longer associated with the farm but of course to keep uh, uh, the money in the hands of those who are trying to continue the legacy. The Nebraska Farm Bureau Annual Convention continues today in Kearney. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to check in on sports. We got Jason Jorgensen in here with us, live and in color. Good morning, Jason. Good afternoon, Jason. How are we doing? It looks like the Nebraska volleyball team uh, getting some accolades as well. They should. Yes. Four members were named to the ABCA All North Region team today. Lawrence Tiverns, Lexi Sun, Nicklin Hames, and Maddie Kubik were all voted to the All Region team, and Kubik was named the North Platte Region for North Region Freshman of the Year adding to the Big Ten Freshman of the Year award she received last week. First-team All-America last year, Stiverns also served nine aces and was a unanimous first-team All-Big Ten selection this season. No surprise here, but senior outside Julianne Jackson, junior middle Anna Squires, and junior center Maddie Squires represent second-ranked UNK on the American Volleyball Coaches Association Division II All-American team. Now the awards banquet will be in conjunction with the Elite Eight tomorrow in Denver. The National Player of the Year will be revealed at that time, and All-Americans in attendance will be recognized. Maddie Squires earns first-team honors with Jackson and Anna Squires, named honorable mention. Maddie is now a rare three-time ABCA All-American, as she twice was named to the NAIA squad while playing at Bellevue in 2016-17. People ask me, you know, what, well, what's, what's the difference between this Loper bunch and last year? Now, last year's team, I think, lost a whopping three games. Yeah. The reason they're better is Maddie Squires. Maddie Squires. Yeah, she's, she's an elite setter. One of Nebraska's most productive special teams players from this year is looking elsewhere. Isaiah Stallbird has entered his name into the NCAA transfer portal. The walk-on safety from Kearney just completed his redshirt freshman year with 13 tackles, including a team-best 10 on special teams. He drew rave reviews from coaches in September after the Northern Illinois game when he blocked a punt and was credited with a forced fumble on another punt rush. He was a regular on every kickoff and punt unit all season. Tell you what, Scott, if he wants to come back and play in Kearney, uh, Coach Lynn, I'm sure, would find a spot for him. They would take him. He is, he's a spark plug. I'm a little surprised Nebraska doesn't have some money for Isaiah Stahlberg. What's, what's, what's that all about? <laughs> no I mean, he, he played much better than some of the kids on scholarship. He did. did. He really did. Yeah. Well, after solidifying its hold on the top spot on the Associated Press College basketball poll, Louisville is back in action tonight against Texas Tech in the Jimmy V Classic at New York's Madison Square Garden. And second-ranked Kansas 
takes on Milwaukee, while fourth-ranked Maryland is at Penn State. And an indoor tennis complex planned for University Village scored another victory last week. The Board of Regents approved an agreement on Thursday that allows University of Nebraska Kearney and the City of Kearney to build and operate the $7.5 million facility. Under the agreement, the city will construct, own, and operate the six-court tennis complex that will be located along North Railroad Street on the south edge of UNK's University Village. Now, UNK will provide operational and maintenance support throughout the 25-year contract. So do you think uh, Joe Burrow walks away with the Heisman on uh, Saturday? I think so. Did you read the Sports Illustrated article that he wanted to come to Nebraska? I did. I was told he wasn't good enough. Hmm. Well, live and learn. Live and learn. One man's treasure is... One man's trash is another man's treasure. (laughs) He went to the right place. He did. (laughs) For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Thanks, Jason. Hi. Well, time for us to take a look at news and a big news day. Lots of things going on. Austin Jacobson here to help us sort it all out. Yeah, you can't complain about what's going on in no. news world and Jason Lots. with sports just on before. And so now I'll bring you kind of the more not mundane activities of the day there, Scott. But, the but not to, mundane. Right, exactly. Mundane. You know, okay. it, it's a Tuesday at noon, right. at noon 30. You're just mm-hmm. trying to get through your day and we're, we're going to bring you that news here. <laughs> all right. Well, the Behavioral Health Education Center of Nebraska Beacon recently released its legislative report that highlights a nearly 17% increase in behavioral health providers in Nebraska from 2010 to 2018. Marley Doyle, MD Director of BHECN, said the shortage of behavioral health professionals in Nebraska is illustrated by the fact that 81 of 93 counties meet federal criteria as mental health profession shortage areas, and 33 counties lack a behavioral health provider of any kind, which is one more county than the previous report two years ago. Dr. Doyle shares the ways that at BHECN and the University of Nebraska Medical Center is working to address these issues. We have many people across the state of Nebraska that are invested in finding a solution to the workforce shortage. We have programs across the state that address the recruitment and retention of the behavioral health workforce. Dr. Doyle also said that the ultimate goal for BHECN is to work with partners across Nebraska to improve access and maintain high-quality care. Eva Oliver, Miss Rodeo Nebraska 2019, earned second runner-up honors at the Miss Rodeo America pageant in Las Vegas, Nevada over the weekend after winning the speech and written test categories. Oliver said it was such a rush to make it to the top ten and then the top five on top of that. Oliver, a native of Merriman, spent a week in the entertainment capital of the world vying for Miss Rodeo Association crown alongside 27 contestants from across the nation. In addition to speech and written tests, they competed in the areas of horsemanship, personality, appearance, photogenic and congeniality. Oliver won a second runner-up buckle for Montana Silversmiths and about $10,000 in scholarship money in addition to a variety of smaller prizes. Now that the pageant is over, Oliver plans to spend a year working while also taking online college classes in pursuit of a bachelor's degree in marketing or sales. Her long-term goal is to go into the field of pharmaceutical sales in the animal industry. A 21-year-old woman was arraigned on three counts of manslaughter Monday in Dawson County District Court in connection with a two-vehicle accident near Overton that claimed three lives. The charges were amended from three counts of motor motor vehicle homicide while driving under the influence. 
Engelgi Kapman of Platt Center is also charged with Kapman is charged with driving under the influence while causing serious bodily injury and driving under the influence of alcohol. Dawson County District Judge Jim Doyle accepted her not guilty plea and set a jury trial for February 11, 2020 at 9 a.m. A preliminary hearing was also set for January 24, 2020 at 8.30 a.m. The accident occurred about two miles east of Overton on Highway 30 around 2 a.m. on October 16th. 2018. According to the Nebraska State Patrol, a car driven by Campman was traveling southbound when it failed to stop at the intersection and struck another vehicle. Three passengers in Campman's vehicle were all pronounced dead at the scene. They included Donald Anderson of Overton, Carly Michael of Pontiac, Illinois, and Zierra Nickerson of Kearney. Campman, 20 of Elm Creek, and another passenger, Ashley Kemp, 18 of Kearney, were transported to Good Samaritan Hospital in Kearney. The State Patrol's preliminary investigation indicated that alcohol was suspected as a factor in in the crash and scott that's a look at your news at 12 30 thank you sir join your friends at ktic krvn and ktmx at this year's nebraska power farming show in lincoln december 10th through the 12th and this year we're giving away a milwaukee m18 cordless sawzall durable and perfect for any size job around the farm you can find our registration boxes at these show vendors mudsmith gauge wheels with thunderstruck Speckman Realty and Auction Service, Brothers Equipment, Drago and Michael Wagner Implement, Crary Industries, Rods Power Sports, Hefty Seed, and Crossroads GPS. Joining you here, I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network, visiting now with Vice President of Marketing for the Nebraska Cattlemen. It's Jeff Stolle. And Jeff, you gave an update here recently at annual convention that really went into detail for your members and producers on um, the Holcomb plant fire uh, inventory. There was a lot covered and I could sit here for 20 minutes probably and, and, and preview this and I'll let you do the talking but let's kind of backtrack and take a look at all the events that led up to it um, in an industry-wide inventory that's kind of where you started when you gave your presentation at annual convention right Shaley I think to to make the events from August 9th forward make sense if you will and to give it proper perspective a person really has to go all the way back as far as 2011 2012 and the reason I mentioned that time frame is that that is when we had a significant drought uh, not only in, in major grazing states, but also hitting our grain production. And we had a very significant liquidation of beef cow numbers during that 2011-2012 time frame to the point that as a result of that, we saw packing capacity taken offline uh, in a number of locations. Uh, the largest plant that was taken offline that has remained offline since would have been uh, the plant at, at Plainview, Texas. Uh, the long and short is most of that capacity that was taken offline at that time has remained offline since. However, insofar as the beef cow inventory that was liquidated during that time that inventory since the drought has been completely rebuilt. So we now find ourselves as an industry uh, with a cow herd that has been completely rebuilt from the time of the drought. 
but we're still dealing with a packing infrastructure uh, that is not the size that it was um, in 2011-2012. And I think that's an important perspective to start with um, as we as we look at the events that have taken place since August 9th. Let's jump into these events now that you've prefaced that a little bit. August 9th, and I'll ha- let you go into detail on that situation, but you made comment when you were presenting, it was kind of a perfect storm, and you've been doing this a long time and you've not really seen anything like this. Talk more about that. I've, I've been with the association for, for 28 years now. And this particular combination of factors, I do think, uh, has been quite unique. The, the fire, obviously, was in southwest Kansas. We had a, a terrible winter and spring uh, here along the I-80 corridor, up the I-29 corridor, uh, from a weather perspective. As a result of that, we have seen decreasing cattle on feed inventories in Nebraska and Iowa and we have seen an increase in inventories in the Texas Panhandle and in particular in Kansas. At the time that the fire occurred Kansas inventories were up about 5 percent versus year-ago levels. At the same time, Nebraska and Iowa inventories were from 6 to 10% lower than year-ago levels. So the fire took place in a location that was inventory heavy, if you will, uh, compared to, to previous year levels. You mentioned front door, back door, separated them a little bit on what it looked like when that happened and the effects that took place. Let's start front door and then we'll move our way back and some of the the impact felt there. Okay. First of all, I I think it it is important to point out that we were dealing with impacts at two different economic interfaces. The front door, as you mentioned, being the front door of the packing house and that interface between the packing house and their procurement teams and the feed yards, the cattle feeders who are selling fed cattle into that packing house. What we had happen immediately after the fire at that interface is a short-term decrease in the demand for fed cattle. Overnight, we had a packing house that depending on whose estimate you look at was capable of harvesting five to 6,000 head of fed cattle a day taken offline. So that amount of capacity no longer is needing to be filled. Granted, we saw those cattle, in a lot of cases, cattle that would have been destined for that plant shipped to other plants. Uh, those in particular being Lexington, Nebraska, Dakota City, Nebraska, and Joslin, Illinois. That adds anywhere from probably $2.50 to $6 a hundredweight in transportation costs. So even though we have seen 
a marked increase in Saturday harvests since August 9th. Uh, that has come at somewhat of an increased cost, if you will, uh, due to the logistics of, of getting those cattle to where they needed to be uh, to be harvested. Jeff Stolle, Vice President of Marketing for the Nebraska Cattlemen, discussing events leading up to and through the Holcomb Plant Fire, where we're at now. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at our midday business report and... uh Boy, lots going on today with uh, the announcement of the USMCA getting ready to come to a vote in the House before too long. And uh, tariff issues, maybe the U.S. holding off and China holding off on some tariffs. But uh, stock market not real impressed so far. In the overnights, the Japanese Nikkei was down 20. Hong Kong's Hang Seng down 57. The FTSE in London was down 20. And the German DAX index was down 34. Here in the United States, kind of even par right now as uh, the stocks go up and down just a little bit. But uh, right now, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down three. NASDAQ is down six. And the Standard & Poor down just a half a point. And we turn to Bob Rogan for more. The Modified North American Trade Pact, or USMCA, or the... Updated NAFTA agreement, NAFTA whatever you want. Two point the latest whatever you want TPP, to, whatever right, you right. want to call it, is uh, apparently on track uh, to be ratified eventually. At least they've kind of agreed to vote on it. So that's uh, that's what's going on, and uh, the market's kind of going well, ho hum, and isn't really reacting all that much right now. Perhaps it was already. Um, budgeted in or whatever you want to call it and so traders not really reacting big on that meanwhile uh, u.s productivity fell in the summer it was the first decline in nearly four years and underscored the struggles companies are facing in boosting worker efficiency the labor department says that productivity edged down at a seasonally adjusted annual rate of two-tenths of a percent in the july through september quarter Also, uh, the National Retail Federation, probably not too surprising, is uh, reacting positively to uh, the House leadership agreeing to hold a vote on the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement. Uh, Retailers are very encouraged by this positive step, according to the National Retail Federation. And uh, you don't know the name George Lohrer, at least, it may not be a household name, but um, he influenced our lives greatly, and he passed away last week. He invented something called the uni- Universal Product Code, which, of course, we know as UPC. the bar right yeah. as the barcode, and uh, it's used everywhere, all the time, for everything. George Lauer died last week at the age of 94. Man, George Lauer, Big Bird, Oscar the Grouch. What's going on? Paul Volcker? I don't know, but uh, I would say that old barcode's going to be used for a while yet until they start scanning my eyes. Yeah, probably. And uh, I don't know what that's going to do to me. Then we'll have health problems from scanning (laughs) our eyes, and well, then we'll 
scan our fingers and maybe our toes and mm-hmm. everything else. Makes the self-checkout line look a right. whole lot different, doesn't yeah, it? All right, sure well, does. At that point, let's, uh, let's say goodbye. Thank you, Bob Rogan. Nebraska, Coe Wetzel is coming to Red Dirt on the River. Saturday, February 15th at Viero Center Carney. Coe Wetzel, along with Cody Canada and the Department. And Cody West. Tickets are on sale now at CarneyEvents.net and the box office. Viero Center Carney and 93.1 The River present Coe Wetzel at Red Dirt on the River. One of you back here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Shaylee Peters, and we are back catching up with Jeff Stolley. He's Vice President of Marketing with the Nebraska Cattlemen as we continue our discussion on what happened with the Holcomb Fire beforehand and now expectations as it comes back online. We, as you mentioned, we're, we're seeing Holcomb come back online literally as we speak. <laughs> Uh, they they have started harvesting some cattle at Holcomb again. Now, they're not going to go from harvesting zero to harvesting five or six thousand head a day. It, it will be a ramp up uh, type of process. Um, but as that happens, we we are bringing a significant piece of, of infrastructure back online. I do not recollect at this point that we have ever seen something where we, where we take a piece of infrastructure of that magnitude offline for three or four months and then we bring it back. So we're in a bit of a, a, bit of a piece of uncharted waters here. However, in general, uh, that should bring back some demand at the front door interface. We will likely see the Saturday harvest start to diminish going forward. You know, I I think you can probably safely assume that there's some deferred maintenance in some of those places that need to be done. However, we'll see that capacity come back online where those inventories are, and they will be back to a situation where they might have 75 cents or a dollar's worth of freight to get them to the plant to be harvested versus two and a half to six dollars. So that should be a positive underlying influence uh, for the fed cattle market going forward here. As a result of the market action at both of the interfaces that, that we've spoken about here, for the last few months, we have seen uh, huge margins in the beef packing business because fed cattle prices broke and at the same time box beef values shot higher. Granted, fed cattle prices have recovered at this point to the levels right about where they were at the time of the fire. But box beef prices have remained at very strong levels. Demand for the product is very good. Essentially, the market has sent a message in the interim to the packing industry, do what you do and do as much of it as you can. And they have been economically 
sent that message by the market and incentivized to operate at the maximum level of production possible. As the plant comes back online, what we should see here is we will likely see those margins at the packer level start to come back more in line with historical norms and hopefully as that happens we should see some appreciation in fed cattle prices and possibly some margin returning to the feeding industry now uh, where margins have been quite thin not only since the fire, but quite honestly, for a good bit of time before that. It's Jeff Stoley with the Nebraska Cattlemen. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Divinity Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DiviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Divinity deal. 